Hey folks, my name is Andy Sido, and you're listening to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest today is singer-songwriter and multi-instrumentalist A.J. Croce. Hey there, welcome back. We're on episode 70-something. In fact, this might be episode 75, which is sort of a landmark, isn't it? Uh, I remember right when I started these, I said, if I get to 10, yes, this is going to be episode 75. Oh my gosh. Um, I said, if I get to 10, then I'll get to 100. So um, if I get to 100, I don't know what that means. Does that mean I'm going to get to 250? Does that mean I retire? I don't know. Um, I mean, I haven't made a penny off the podcast yet, so I suppose I can't retire. But anyway, this is episode 75, and there's been a, there, as I look through, um, it's just kind of crazy looking through the list of, of all the conversations and say, oh yeah, that, that one, oh yeah, that one. Um, the last two weeks, I just finished up a two-parter with Leftover Salmon. I had a conversation with Drew Emmett two weeks ago and then Greg Garrison last week regarding their brand new album, Brand New Good Old Days. <laughs> I guess that was redundant, but the album's called Brand New Good Old Days. And Greg Garrison, the bass player and producer on the record, um, was one of my college professors, too. So it was great getting to catch up with him. So after you're done with this one, go back and listen to those. In terms of today's episode, I recorded the monologue right after the interview, and I sent it to Mastering, um, and... They said, hey, you know, we were, we were going to upload it, but then um, there's no monologue. And I said, well, of course there's a monologue. And I went back and looked, and I and I searched to find the monologue wherever that audio file went, and it was lost in the ether. I don't know if that's ever happened before on this podcast, but um, my first monologue is gone. So I'm having to – I'm doing a second one and trying to fit it in the same uh, amount of time. Anyway – my guest today is AJ Croce, who I've been wanting to have on for a long time. Uh, he has a, a new album out that came out earlier this year called By Request. Uh, it's a great record, and it's all cover songs. Um, all songs that, you know, that he would play when he was entertaining. Uh, songs like Nothing From Nothing, Only Love Can Break Your Heart, um, Stay With Me, Brickyard Blues, San Diego Serenade. Um, I'm not going to read off all of them, but just kind of a few that come up off the off the top of my head it's a great record um and in our conversation we kind of we talk about how we picked the songs what his strategy was with um producing because when you do cover songs you're sort of in that you're sort of in that in between ground of hey am i going to do it just like the artist i want to honor the artist but i also want to make it unique and make it mine and aj j- did just that on this whole record um but this was just a wonderful conversation all through. I mean, we talk about, he, he, he has quite a story. Um, you know, his childhood and his upbringing. Uh, he lost his vision when he was just a kid. And it came back in one eye gradually. By the time he was about 10, um, he started uh, playing piano in clubs as a teenager. He started gigging all the time. Um, he's got some kids of his own. Uh, just a couple years ago, his, his wife passed away, sadly. We chatted about that a little bit. Um, and we also talk about, um, you know, briefly what it was like having um, a father in the same profession who was wildly successful at it in the commercial sense. Um, and, and he's just very frank about that. Um, you know, he's the son of Jim Croce. 
and he talks about that you know the that you know the advantages disadvantages whatever just just the reality of it i guess but um it was a really frank conversation it's one of my favorite conversations um on the podcast so far it was just honest and um talk about all kinds of different things so um i will jump into that in just a second first i just want to say if you'd like to support the podcast um in a free way, in a totally free way, just rate and review. Give it a five-star and a quick review. It takes a couple seconds and helps me out a whole lot. If you are in a position to help in a monetary way, I'm now on Patreon at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. And for as little as $3 a month, as Joe Pug would say, that's less than the price of one cup of coffee. You can support this podcast and, and my uh, music career. I put up exclusive content from these podcasts on there and i also put up unreleased tracks um, of mine i'm a singer songwriter and a, and a musician that's what i do and um that's what that's what all the patreon funds go towards is just continuing to do the podcast continuing to do the music release the music um whatever it is i want to mention too about aj you know when i first saw him at dazzle in denver a few years ago i was really taken by his piano playing because i'm a piano songwriter um that's my my first instrument i've done the piano bars and all and all that thing those sorts of things and it's interesting because as a songwriter you know you're always a guitar player um that's you know kind of that's what you can bring to the campfire as a guitar and so I end up writing a lot of most of my songs on the guitar, actually, when I'm a, a much better piano player. And I think that's because most of my songwriter influences are, uh, are, are guitar players. They write on guitar. So seeing AJ play live um, is a big influence on me. Seeing somebody who's that fluid of a piano player um, and someone who plays with so much um, personality, I think you know, watching him, I went home and wrote a couple songs in the next couple days, right after seeing him the first time on the piano. So piano playing songwriters are way cool. And AJ's one of them. And he's, he's absolutely great at it. So anyway, without further ado, let's jump into our conversation. Quick thanks to our sponsors. First, Patrick at PQ Mastering. Patrick puts the finishing touches on this podcast, and for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. He'll also let you know if you forgot to put the monologue in. Also, Narrator Music. Narrator, go to narratorrf.com for simple and affordable licensing for sync. If you would like to become a sponsor, shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. Got to sync it for later. <laughs> AJ, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on. Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you. I'm I'm uh, visiting California and seeing my kids and my folks for the first time in in uh, many many months, almost ten months now. Wow. So where are you living when you're not visiting? I'm California? in Nashville. You're in Nashville now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there since '08. Okay. Okay. And so you're getting to visit kids and family and all that. Yeah. Yeah. My kids are grown now, but. I still miss them just like when they were little, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How long are you out there for? Uh, just for a week. Okay. Just for a week. Nice. And what have you been doing for the last, 
you know, I ask, I ask everybody this, what have you been doing for the last year to, um, you know, I mean, you put out a record, I, I mean, but are, are you out gigging at all or I mean, what's it been uh, like? Just a little bit stuff is starting. I think it'll kind of get going more in the summer and, um, uh, and fall. It'll probably may get normal by the fall. It's hard to say. Um, I've been doing all kinds of stuff. I've been, uh, working on some film projects uh, as a producer, as well as a participant in in the in a couple documentaries, um, and then also um, been practicing a ton, um, piano and guitar, and just having a chance to work on things that I haven't really had a chance to work on since I was young, or have the, had the time to since I was maybe fifteen. Right. Um, just because you, you, usually there's a cycle to, um, doing this for a living, which is, you know, you, you, you write, you record and you tour it. And there may be some little other creative avenues in between that, but you don't have a lot of time to be practicing, you know, Indian ragas and yeah. <laughs> Brazilian, uh, you know, um, bossa nova and, and Argentinian tangos and all of that stuff that, uh, that I've had a chance to do, you know, yeah. also reading and, and, um, uh, just writing. And, um, it's been great, honestly. I mean, it's been a really expensive vacation, but it's been like a sabbatical. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, is that part of your daily routine when there's not COVID? Are you a daily uh, practicer or are you just yeah. playing all the time? Yeah, you know, I practice every day uh, and I write every day, although I'm usually um, practicing with the idea of writing a song uh, for something that might turn into the next project. So whatever that project is, I'm sort of keeping in mind what's already there and trying to see if it can li all live in the same world. And so maybe there's 10 songs or 12 songs, but um, you know, and I'm, there might be a lot to choose from 25 songs, 30 songs, it could be any number, but, um, I need to sort of whittle it down to something that really fits in the same world on an album, you know? Yeah. So it, it, I, even though I practice and I write every day during more normal times, it's still, it's quite, um, different because it's sort of project oriented. Sure. Yeah. No, that makes, I, I think I'm the same way as always. I, I'm not practicing scales as much as, uh, you know, trying to find a song riff or whatever, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, melodies are just, it could be a, it could be a lyric, it could be a chorus, it could be, you know, um, I just, uh, just wrote this song, um, called Turned Around, which is all these oxymorons that are sort of strung together into a story. And um, just having the time to put in and think about all of that, not rush it, has given me a, a better song, you know? Right. Um, and uh, also, um, you know, I've been practicing a lot of guitar and um, I got a new guitar during the pandemic, an electric that I was sort of looking for a little more sustain than I had with my electrics, my sort of hollow body yeah. um, guitars. And so that really changed a few things because I knew that I needed this sound for sustain and in the process wrote a bunch of stuff that, that I'm really happy with. Yeah. And did you buy that for 
uh, for the live show or more for studio stuff? I mean, the, the times I've seen you in Colorado um, at what I, I guess I think Swallow Hill and Dazzle or uh-huh. Bowers or something. Um, yeah. It's been a duo, uh, you know, and you've been back and forth with acoustic and piano a little bit. Yeah. Um, so now I, for the most part, I tour with a full a, a full band, four piece, and same group that's on the new album um, by request. Um, Gary Malibur on drums and um, David Burrard on bass and Garrett Stoner on on lead guitar. Um, okay. Except when we switch <laughs> and I, right. you know, and um, and I go between piano and guitar in the in the show, and that's been the same band for several years. Uh, okay. Obviously, last year was cut short. Yeah, yeah, sure. And so this new album, I know we were just talking about daily songwriting, but this new album uh, yeah. Is, yeah. is covers. It's not songwriting. It's all covers. No. <laughs> um, and and it's funny because um, it was recorded in December of 19 and January of 20 with the intention of releasing it last spring. And... Um, the idea was that it, they were these were songs uh, that sort of reminded me of particular evenings at, at my house entertaining friends. It was like a house party, and so yeah. releasing it this year, this this idea of 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 uh, memories with friends was sort of uh, the perfect timing for this story you know because it's the thing we haven't been able to do for the last year is hang out with friends and entertain and and play music together yeah yeah and i mean did did the songs sort of pick themselves in that way you know kind of what you were playing when people come over or did you sit with 30 or 40 covers that you love and and whittle it down um uh, you know it was part of it was um thinking about what my band touring band would play well on and and improvise well on um part of it was uh, you know having grown up playing jazz and blues and r&b and rock and roll and and um playing covers in jazz bars and piano bars as a teenager it was um I was no stranger to playing standards playing covers so I had the um, you know American songbook to choose from. Um, but there were just, there were just, these were songs that reminded me of like fun evenings with friends, yeah. you know? So um, someone would, you know, request the Billy Preston song and, you know, after hanging out and having a few drinks and I'd play it, and I'd sing and, and it'd be like, um, it was a night of requests, you know? And, yeah. um, but each one is a different evening over, you know, 30 years. It wasn't one particular evening or one friend. It was all different friends from different times in my life that had made these requests. Yeah. Wow. No, it's, well, it's a great record. Um, and, and the artists that you're covering are all over the place. You're right. You had the whole American songbook to choose from. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's not limited to any one thing, you know, it's all over, which is great. It is. It really is. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, it, you know, it sticks together because, well, for one thing, it's live. It's my voice. I'm playing piano or guitar um, or harmonium or percussion or something. Right. And um, and but it sounds like me. So hopefully that's what keeps this thing glued together. And, you know, as as I've gotten older, I sort of came to realize that even though I've touched on so many genres in my career and on different albums, 
it's really my uh, it's really my voice that um, ties it together for me. You know, it's uh, my voice and my piano. Um, certainly, early on, that yeah. was that was what made it. You know, made all of these varied styles stick together. Yeah, right. I, actually, I, I was when you said "sounds like me." I, you know, I thought the same thing listening to it. And as somebody who who plays three nights a week in a steak piano, three nights a week in a steakhouse, right? I, I get asked to do all kinds of different songs, and I, yeah, I think about that with covers. Um, you know, what's the intangible of the song, right? If you, what makes the song special? If you're going to do "Imagine" by John Lennon, you got to have that intro riff in there, even yeah. if it's a techno cover. You got to. Work yeah, that yeah. in, but at the yeah. same time, you know we don't we don't want to hear you do it exactly like John Lennon because we can listen to John Lennon do it. So, was Absolutely. that a struggle for you at at all, or, or I mean, production wise, how did you go about? I want to stay true to the song and honor the song, yet make this completely AJ Croce. Um, it, it happened in different ways. There's a few songs that are really close uh, arrangement wise. And as the, as the producer on this, I took that into account. The reason why they are is for a particular reason, such as um, someone was sitting in with me and they knew a particular version of it. So mm. like um, a friend knew a particular version of the faces song, you know, another friend knew the flaming groovies version of the have you seen my baby by Randy Newman. And so I wanted to pay tribute to Randy Newman, but I wanted that energy of the rock and roll version of, of the flaming groovies version. So in that, I was like, well, what if little Richard sat in with the flaming groovies and had his horn section, what would that sound like? And so yeah. that's how I did that with, um, with the beach boys song sail on sailor. I was thinking, um, I was thinking about, if chess records had a psychedelic period. Yeah. And so even though all of the, the melody and all those great chords, um, you know, that Brian Wilson wrote um, and the Beach Boys performed are still there, it starts off sort of like just with the bass and sort of a chess records vibe. And then it goes into that uh, arrangement with harmonium and bass um, harmonica and, um, and vocals, vocal harmonies, you know, that I've arranged in a way that's a little, it's much different harmonically, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so that was, that was fun with, um, Billy Preston. It's, yeah. uh, the melody and the chords are very much the same, but I wanted a different horn section that was maybe a little funkier sort of, uh, Sly Stone, Stevie Wonder, you know, uh, yeah. influenced more so than that circus vibe of the right right and um and so you know approached it that way you know yeah. and um and you know everything's live so you know i really wanted it to feel like you were at my place hanging wow. out so the horns and everything is all done no together. no no not horns weren't live the okay um, okay all the all the band was live and vocals are live. We didn't have enough room for the horns and singers, so we had to do that as overdubs. It was just it was too much. Um, we had too much going on. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing was recorded in about a week. You wow. know, uh, the base all the basic tracks were recorded in four days, and with that stuff, I would might go from playing a piano part and then switch over to the organ or play a guitar part, switch over to organ sure. or, or Wurlitzer or whatever, just do it right away. 
and move on. Didn't do more than three takes. I had more songs on the song list that were probably three or four more songs that I thought would have been good for the album. Yeah. Um, you know, we tried them out, saw how the band was playing it, saw how much they were influenced by the versions they knew of it. Yeah. And if it was if it was too derivative of the original and it, everyone couldn't just loosen up quick, you know, in a natural way in a, in a couple takes, we just I just went, let's move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah. And did, did you write all the horn arrangements and stuff? No, I just did. Uh, I just did the uh, the horn arrangements for uh, the the um, uh, nothing from nothing. Okay. Um, the rest uh, were all, all of that was done by Jim Hoke. Um, okay. And then I did all of the vocal harmony arrangements, and then of course the rhythm section arrangements. Yeah. Wow. Um, and is this something? I mean, was this just like a brief? a segue for you where you said, Hey, I want to do this full covers album. And I know you've, you have covers on other albums too. Maybe I'm amazed yeah. and, and things yeah, like yeah. that. But was this just a, Hey, I'm going to go do this and then come back and my next album is going to be originals. Or is this something yeah. where you thought I might do yeah. volume two? I, you know, I didn't realize that it would, there would be people that, you know, dug it. I, I didn't know that it would be something that would get played on the radio. I wasn't sure that, you know, I wasn't expecting what had happened with this project, you know, yeah. um, and that it's still alive on the radio after three months. I just did not expect that. So, um, you know, I suppose that it's it's always possible if people like the way I interpret songs to do that again someday. But um, my intention is to continue writing original material. Yeah. And, yeah. and was there a departure from songwriting at all for you during this process? Um, or, or did you kind of keep on business as usual with that? I did. I've, I, I kept on writing, you know, there were things in my personal life that, um, that had made it difficult. Um, you know, my wife passed away, you know, after being together for 26 years and, yeah. and, um, that was difficult, you know, um, it, it made writing difficult for a period. And then I started just touring. And so, um, I was touring so heavily, um, during, um, late 2018, all through 2019 that I wasn't writing quite as much as I, I wasn't finishing as as many songs as I usually do. Um, but I still, I mean, I had a good, good, uh, basis for an album. I had, you know, half of it, written in 2018 now whether those songs will end up on the next record maybe one of them two of them you know as i've continued to write um um, but you know we'll see see yeah yeah and uh and your wife uh, marla was her name right yeah yeah and 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 she did i i think i remember she was touring with you too when i one of the times i saw you live but she was um kind of a part of the whole thing, right? Helping out with merch and tour managing and things, right? Um, with the merch, not with the tour managing, but she was, yeah, she helped out with the merch and, and when she could, you know, when she was, um, you know, once the kids were grown and stuff, that was that was really nice to be able to yeah. travel together. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I bet so. And, and um, you know, now, now going out on the road, um, so is that kind of been, was that kind of the coping mechanism off the bat is, Hey, I, I just have to play music. That's my escape. After a few months. Yeah. After a few months, I, I realized I needed to, to 
do what I what I do, you know, and it had always been a part of my life that had, you know, as much as I love it, as 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 important as it is to me as breathing, it was still a difficult um, career to have um, with with a family because it was it's very few musicians can tour and and have a wife and kids that still want to talk to them, you know, yeah. it's just, it's a really hard, it's a hard job to be away all the time. Yeah. And, um, and so there was a lot of, you know, push and pull and trying to make compromises that were not necessarily best for either facet, not necessarily best for my career, not always best for uh, my relationships, but um, I found a way to balance it and make it work um, on some level, even though it was you know, difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you were able to be around plenty for your, for your kids as they were um, growing mm-hmm. up too, right? You still caught yeah. the little league ball games and things like that. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Pick them up at school, make them breakfast, you know, drop them off, all that yeah. stuff. Um, and, you know, um, and then when, you know, I had been sort of going between starting in 08, I moved to Nashville for three years and then came back, still had a place in Nashville for a while and came back to, to San Diego. And then when my son graduated, um, I don't know, six years ago or yeah. so, um, we moved to moved to Nashville yeah. again, and um, and I've I've been it's been my solid base ever since. Yeah, so that's your home. You're staying there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. It, it, I love uh, I love traveling, but it's you know it's such a creative it's a creative place. There's a lot of really interesting folks that are doing all kinds of music. Yeah, um, it's so diverse, as you know. You know, it's, it's, it's not just one thing at all. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So when did you start, um, really playing heavily? I mean, when were you, uh, you know, a professional out playing in piano bars and things like that? Was that early on? Yeah. Um, I think by the time I really started playing in jazz bars when I was 15. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, playing the standards, I mean, also doing, you know, throwing in other oddball things every once in a while besides playing, you know, Fats Waller, and Ellington, and Cole Porter and Jerome Kern and Gershwin stuff. Um, um, I was also, I was also playing, you know, some boogie woogies or throwing in, you know, yeah. uh, throwing in a Fats Domino thing or little Richard or, um, you know, even even something like a you know throwing in a Velvet Underground song or a, yeah. or something that was just not what people expected. And yeah. um, when I was fifteen, I also joined my first band, which was you know older players, and it was sort of a '60s garage band vibe. You know, where I was playing Vox Continental organ, which was a different thing. Yeah, and um, and so. Yeah. And then I guess I was, I was about 16 when, um, this guy Floyd Dixon really took me under his wing and he was a boogie piano player, central Avenue scene in Los Angeles. Um, since the forties, he had uh, written wine, 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 and Hey Bartender and yeah. one scotch, one bourbon, one beer, and a lot of these drinking songs. And, yeah. um, he was like, you know, 
dress up for the audience and you you can keep a set for this long and and you know taught me some of the basics you know get paid in cash all of those things that, yeah yeah that, you know uh, and so you know i learned from um a, a performer in that case you know many from many people but you know he was uh, took me under his wing we did shows around southern california and then when i was 17 um a woman named may axton heard me play and um she she was uh the woman who wrote uh, heartbreak hotel mm. and she she called her friend cowboy jack clement and said you got to got to hire this guy got to hear him so my did my first session in nashville when i was 17 wow. in the late 80s and it was that like opened my eyes to a whole new world and i at that point i sort of felt i mean i always felt um like i didn't fit in um in any particular musical style or scene or um or one particular group or another subculture wise yeah. but when um, when that happened, I really uh, sort of realized I was on my own independent adventure musically yeah. and that I was going to do all kinds of stuff. And th the next year I was out with B.B. King and, and, and that was the beginning of it. Were you opening for him or playing with him? I opened for him. Yeah. I would open for him on a, on a West coast tour. And then, um, and then after that was Taj Mahal and with Taj Mahal, we would play songs together. Yeah you know, wow, um, cool. every night, um, uh, I, I play piano and he would play, we'd play four and a piano or we would, um, or he would play guitar. I play piano on a song or two. And, and we did that. Um, and that was right when I, that was right when I got signed, you know, yeah. and I think I was 19. Now you were, when you were signed, I, if I remember correctly, you were kind of marketed as a, as a jazz artist at first, but yeah. I, I wouldn't necessarily think of you as a jazz piano player, sort of, as you were just saying, I mean, and when I've, when I've seen you play live, you know, there's elements of jazz, but there's the boogie woogie, there's pop, there's rock and roll, there's, um, mm -hmm. classical, you yeah. know? Um, so when you talk about being on your own adventure, I mean, was that, kind of freaky at first being this melting pot of different genres who's going to listen to this who's going to like this where am I going to fit in or, or were you able to just embrace it I you know I think um I wasn't worried about um creating a brand I mean that would have been really wise of me probably yeah um but <laughs> I was just uh, I was just wanting to create music Right. And I wanted to create something that I w would want to listen to, you know, and um, and if other people were into it, then that was that was great. And I, you know, I had to walk this sort of fine line between recognizing that there was a need to have um, there was a need to have enough commercial success to be able to make another record and to continue to tour and to be able to to fill venues Um uh, which took a long time for me. Yeah. Um, but um, when um, there was, there was also the other side of it, which was that I wasn't really that attracted to fame. And, um, and so I probably shot myself in the foot, a, you know, a bunch, you know, certainly I had opportunities when I was young to, you know, cover my father's music and just didn't, first of all, it just wasn't what, um, 
that uh, as much as I love his songwriting and and his and uh, his performance, I just uh, that wasn't what influenced me. In fact, I think I was influenced by a lot of the same people he was influenced by. But mm. um, that was the same way I found later in um, when I connected with Leon Russell and we wrote a lot together was that we we had a lot of the same influences. Yeah. And that was our connection where all of these uh, oddball um, piano players, most most folks don't know about unless you're a diehard, you know, s- student of piano players of the 20th century. So, yeah. Um, yeah um, and, and it was the same thing. You know, I probably could have done better. Um, so I know I could have financially, but I don't think I felt there was any um, it, there wasn't a creative interest in it at the time. And there wasn't. Sure. Um, I didn't think there was any integrity in it. And you mean like that you had opportunities to sort of dress up like your dad in a way and, and redo the music? Uh, yeah, I don't think it, I don't think I had to go that far. Um, it wasn't like when Hank Williams Jr. started, but it yeah. was um, certainly the opportunities to do an album of his music, to do a cover album of his stuff was, they, they came from all over, you know, yeah. from big labels. Um, and, you know, in my early, early interviews, it, that was off limits for 20 years. I wouldn't talk about him. I wouldn't play yeah. his music. Yeah. It wasn't until the last, you know, six or seven years that I started to embrace it because, because I had gotten to a place in my own career where I, I didn't feel like I had to prove anything. Mm. And I wanted, also I had started playing guitar and I, I love playing that stuff on guitar. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, having something to prove. And I, I guess I always wonder that. I, I mean, it's not uncommon for a kid to get into the same profession as one of his parents. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, early in your career, did did you have to worry about like, oh, well, that's Jim Croce's son. So he's going to do this gig. I mean, was there was there some of that going on? Still is. Yeah, there was then there is now. Um, I don't think people are uh, I don't know if most people are capable of separating my me from him. They can't think of me if they know who he is without thinking of him. Um, And and maybe that'll change in in time with younger fans that don't know his music quite as well. But most of my fans are music fans, and so they know they know the reference points where I'm pulling from. At least you know a majority of them. Right. Um, and so, so they know him. They know. They also know um, you know all kinds of you know '60s rock and roll bands that might have you might have heard this or that. They they know Alan Toussaint. You know they know. Right. Um, they know these artists, um, some that I've collaborated with, like Dan Penn. And, and so in that way, it, it's like there's not really a way to, to separate, you know. Right. And I've, as, as difficult as that is on a personal uh, level sometimes, um, I think uh, I've mostly come to terms with it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm yeah. sure that's that's difficult, and I I wonder that with with artists, um, you know, who had a dad who did it or a mom who did it, um, yeah, and yeah, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's difficult. 
Um, and well, you know, if it's, if it's any consolation, I knew who you were first because <laughs> I'm, I'm 29, you know, and I eventually had to learn Leroy Brown and things like that for piano bar gigs, yeah. but I didn't make any connection to who that was singing it. I just had to learn it through osmosis real quick kind of uh-huh. thing. Um, but when I, I first saw you at, at, I think it was Swallow Hill, probably 2013, 2014. Mm. And it was, it was after that show that someone said, oh, well, you know, here's who his dad is. And I, and so I went and looked him up and I said, oh, his dad was famous, but I, yeah. I didn't, uh, I didn't know at first. So maybe, yeah, with the, with the younger generations, there is the, the disconnect. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, either way it's, it's, you know, it's worth discovering his music, you know? Yeah. Um, and, um, and every once in a while you'll see someone that does, you know, has the same profession as their parent and, and you'll go, Oh, that's, I can really hear that, that connection. Um, but most of the time I listen without prejudice, you know, yeah. um, um, but that, you know, that's, that was just be par- partially because of my life experience, you know? Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, you've been talking about some of these collaborations and you just brought up Alan Toussaint. Um, the, the, the couple CDs that I have at my house of yours are Cantos and 12 Tales. Um, oh, okay. And the, and you know, the rest is on Spotify cause we're, cause we're kids. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, 12 Tales, um, I think that's what you, the, what you were supporting, um, the first time I saw you perform, um, yeah. or maybe the second time. And the story with that is really interesting because you have six different producers on that record. Um, and mm-hmm. Alan, Alan's one of them and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Greg Cohen, how, yeah. what was your thought process behind putting that together and keeping some sort of continuity while letting each of the producers do their thing? Okay. So the, the continuity again. It came, you know, it came from a couple factors. One was that it was me singing yeah. and playing, sure, um, piano or guitar. The second was that the that we were recording live, you know. Yeah. So um, you really hear what everyone's playing, and that live aspect of it actually makes it really hard for a producer to show their vision of something because yeah. so many producers. Um, have a vision that requires, um, you know, pieces and putting everything together. It's a puzzle that they, that they, you know, they fit together. And then there's some producers that do all of, all of that. You know, um, the first person I, I, that produced a song or two songs on that was Cowboy Jack Clement, who was the very first person who hired me, you know, for a session. And, um, and so, you know, that was a thrill. And once he signed on, there were other producers that were interested in Toussaint was, I think the second, um, who, who came along. Now I had a, I had a, for that album, which was a really hard album to make. Cause I was traveling to all of those places where those producers work. Mm-hmm. So, um, started in Nashville with cowboy went to, uh, the second recording was, uh, with, um, Kevin Killen. Yeah. who had worked with, you know, Bowie and U2 and, of course, Elvis Costello for 30 years. Um, and um, um, and then after that, was that went down to New Orleans and worked with, with Toussaint at his, at his um, studio, yeah. at his house. And I was also trying to release one song a month 
di- with different producers each month um, yeah. for a year. Right. That was really hard. So there were times when I would get into a studio, record on a Thursday, um, maybe Thursday and Friday, mix either on that Friday or Saturday and um, master it um, on Monday yeah. and then have it out on Tuesday. You know, it was it was that fast that it would get uploaded, which was really hard. You know, yeah. um, there were a couple times when I didn't meet the deadline, but I but I did the yeah. whole year. Um, and so you know, Mitchell Froome was a that was a really fun uh, project. I had I've always um, loved his work as a as a musician and yeah. and as a producer. And uh, he taught me something really interesting because, you know, I'd always played vintage instruments, always collected vintage instruments and amps and so forth. And uh, never really thought um, about um, recording them, except with the best possible miking that I could to make the instrument sound as as great as it does. And he had this idea that great instruments have this innate greatness and that, that um, that's going to shine through no matter what. So let's figure out a way to make this sound like it's never sounded before that opened up all of these ideas for me about what different instruments could sound like, um, especially with the, you know, old stuff. Um, And um, that was kind of our, our approach on that, but every session on that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. And Greg Cohen, you know, Greg Cohen, I had, uh, I had recorded half of an album, my first album with him in new Orleans with Al Schmidt, um, engineering who just passed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the band was all long hairs, um, uh, core group at the time, uh, John Vodokovich and, uh, um, I'm trying to think of everyone, but anyway, um, it was a little outside the box, which I loved, you know, um, I had learned about him through Tom Waits and, um, loved what he had produced for Tom Waits. Um, you know, six or seven albums up to that point, I was so excited to, to work with him and his idea of arranging and producing. I just loved. And, uh, so I was disappointed when the label thought it was just too, outside the box for really you know yeah and so i ended up that got scrapped and and i still have the tapes from it but um but the that got scrapped and i went to la and ended up recording with john simon and t-bone burnett for the first one so you know there's all that was really nice to be able to after all those years 20 some years at that point almost 25 years to be able to to go hey let's let's do something and like yeah initially it was going to be on my label before compass picked up the album towards the end of the year yeah um i said let's do let's do something it's going to actually come out this time and he was like oh that's let's do it and uh so that was fun yeah so you just kind of picked people that you really wanted to work with in that sort of a, a capacity yeah yeah i mean there were there were a lot of uh I mean, I cast a broad net Um, there, you know, initially, I think there were uh, maybe four of the people on there um, were on my original list, Cowboy and Toussaint and um, Mitchell Froome and, um, 
And then, um, and then with the other three, they, they were, they were on my list as I was going through it, but I had, it was really diverse, you know, from, um, from Sergio Mendez to, um, to Tony Visconti, you know, it was like, it was all over the map of different kinds of producers, different kinds of arrangers and sounds. Some were more engineers, some were more players, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you were releasing it one a month. Um, that's a very new music business concept. Yeah. Um, How did that come about that you were going to, um, do it every single one, every single uh, month for a year. Well, you know, I have a label called seedling records and, and I have digital distribution, um, which I set up early on, you know, and I figured this is, I'm able to upload stuff in real time. Um, why not, why not try this? You know, it's an indie record. Who's going to, I mean, it's it's going to be hard to get anyone to listen to this in the first place. Um, yeah. At least that was my my perspective, you know, and um, and it was it was hard to to raise money for it. You know, initially, I, I it ended up being pretty much more expensive than anything I produced before or been involved in producing um, uh, since my first couple of records, just because there, it was so much travel and so much um, working in in New York and then New Orleans, then LA, just all of that. Um, and I want every producer got, you know, the same, you know, so yeah. it was, um, it, it was just a, I won't do that again, not anytime soon. You know, yeah. um, it <laughs> was just, it, it was like, I thought, okay, this is, this is at least interesting enough that some writer will write about it. And, yeah. um, and a few did, and that was, that was positive, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've realized, I think we're, we're mostly going uh, backwards in your career on accident, right? But I mean, shooting all over yeah. the place a little bit, we're going, going backwards. So, um, you know, I think the next uh, logical place to go is what was the early childhood like? I mean, how did you first get into uh, the piano? You know, I there's photos of me, you know, at the piano before I could walk where I'm holding myself up on the piano. I played from from the time I was very young and wh- I lost my sight when I was four. Yeah. And um, and it became solace. You know, it became it became um my home you know yeah. it became the safest place i had in my life yeah and um and it came and it came in in a natural way you know um i never thought it was like a prodigy or anything but i love to practice and i think once you start to practice and you then you learn what to practice you know and um just talking to a friend who's a phenomenal player wanted to learn how to play some boogie stuff. And I said, well, just for the next like six months, put your right hand, you know, behind your back or put it yeah. on by your side <laughs> Yeah, right. and just, and just play left hand. Um, just play these lines, these walking lines or chord cluster lines or, you know, and um, I said, they're really simple. Um, it's just making sure that you don't need to think about it. It needs to be muscle memory. There's nothing that's intellectually complicated about, about that stuff. It's all muscle memory. Yeah. And so, and so for me, you know, once I realized that, you know, muscle memory was such an important facet of, of, 
of uh, piano and being able to execute certain things, I would just work on playing certain kinds of things again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. And did you, um, I mean, was that sort of a safe place for you once you lost, lost your vision was, Hey, this is something that I can do. You know, you maybe weren't out, uh, playing yeah. catch with the other kids. So was piano was yeah. that kind of an escape yeah. for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have memories before, um, from before you lost your vision or do you? Sure. Yeah. 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 I have, I have memories of, of early childhood and, um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I remember the last thing I saw in stereo cause I, I got this, my left eye back, but not my right. And I remember the last thing I saw in stereo was, was the cover of the harder they come. It had just come out. And, um, I remember seeing that LP yeah. and, um, and that was the last thing I saw in stereo. Wow. It was, was it sudden then or, or gradually went away? Um, it was uh, it was pretty sudden. It it happened over over uh, about a month period of time. I was very sick. There, it was a it was a difficult situation. You know, after yeah. my father died, there was a, um, a guy that was in my mom's life who was very abusive to yeah. me, and um, and that and the result of it was was the blindness. So. Um, I had been sick for some time and I was away from home at that point. I was, um, I was just, just about to turn four. I was at a, a boarding school in Tucson and I started blacking out. Mm. And then, um, my mom came to visit me there and realized that I couldn't see and went to the hospital and I was in the hospital for the next six months. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, what was the sensation that you had when you first started regaining vision in your left eye? Oh, you know, it was such a subtle thing and it happened so slowly over about six years. Like at first, at first there was light. And then, um, well, there was this, my left eye didn't completely lose, um, light, you know, so to speak. Uh. It, there was some, I could tell that there was, there was light, whether it was light or dark out. Um, which was a good sign, you know, but then over, over, um, you know, several years that it was kind of like peripheral vision where you kind of see something and just, but that peripheral vision was in a, in the center of my, of, of, of my uh, eye. And I, it's just expanded slowly, very slowly. Wow. And so I, as soon as I could, you know, read again, cause I learned to read when I was very young, it, I would hold it very close, still hold it close, uh, yeah. and look at this funny angle. Same thing with TV. I would get really close and um, try and, and tilt my head so that I could see the angle of of it, where I could see the the picture. Um, and as I got older, that that expanded. Wow, wow! And so you got it back. Your your left eye. Yeah. Yeah. It's not perfect, but, um, with these, with these tinted lenses, um, uh, which was a relatively new, um, discovery was that the tints could allow me to see contrast that in a way that I wasn't able to. Okay. Um, because it was optic nerve damage. It wasn't about my, my actual eyes, you know? Right. So, uh, that just, you know, it just took, 
it just took time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you, I mean, do you go to the store and things like that? Do you drive? I can, uh, I shouldn't, yeah. I can, and I shouldn't. Um, yeah. um, I gen I, I'll, if I need to get, um, things and I can't have them delivered, then I, then I'll, I will go for a short drive in the neighborhood, which I know really well, but I don't, I don't take risks like that any longer. Yeah, yeah. sure. Sure. So musically for you, um, where as this pandemic lifts and you start touring again where do you see yourself headed in the next year or two years it's kind of interesting because there's part of part of me in that sense that's really still in um in last year because everything from last year got pushed into this year and then right. consequently pushed into next year if it couldn't fit into this year right. um and so everything's booked through next year, maybe even the beginning of 23. So things that already existed, it's like, I'm, I'm just playing the past for a minute. (laughs) You know, I'm playing through the past for a minute and then it'll catch up and I'll start Um, during that process. I'll be um, playing new songs. I'll be playing things, you know, obviously from, from um, by request, which I'm so glad came out this year for, both the reason that I said earlier, where it really sort of reflected on something that we weren't able to enjoy during the pandemic, but um, but also uh, the fact that we'll uh, I'll be able to add from from those songs and also everything that I'm writing and 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 playing with. You know, some of the stuff that I've been practicing um, were things that some of the things were familiar, but I I practice and became better at some of them were less familiar and and will require that practice and muscle memory i may add little pieces of them in improvisation here or there but you, that won't show up really i don't think confidently for a couple of years and then there's some of the stuff that i had never done before um that i wasn't familiar with that i'm still learning the language yeah not just the muscle memory, but the language where I, where I know that that'll take a little longer. That'll be like four or five years down the road. Those things will come out. And, and as that happens, I find um, really interesting places where things can kind of meld together. You know, uh, one thing I did, for example, is figure out there's uh, with uh, 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 East St. Louis Tulu, it's a, uh, uh, by Ellington, you have these, you have these, um, whole, um, whole steps, right. Um, yeah. um, ba-dum, right. Basically, yeah. um, you know, it's, um, and, and it just goes up the scale. And then I applied these half step intervals with raw, with a, with a raga in the same key and found that they worked really well together the same way that it would work well in, on half steps in, in say caravan. Yeah. And so, and so you can add this, you can add this new flavor to it of like North Africa or India or whatever, just simply by, um, by playing, you know, Ellington in the left hand and North Africa in the right, you know, all wow. of these things um, can, can like fuse together in a very natural way. And it can feel really soulful and, and melodic. Is there a specific concept, um, 
you know, maybe it's a specific type of music or concept within that type of music that you want to evolve to a, you know, onstage performance thing in the next four to five years? Oh, absolutely. There's a um, project I've been working on for um, seven years, seven years on my own, um, about a year and a half, uh, two years now, um, with um, a group that came in that wanted to be a part of this um, origin stories that I had sort of compiled these 10 origin stories, mythologies, folklore, religion, yeah. science, um, history, um, and um, and took all of these different perspectives of origin stories and started working with um, with Antibalus. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they're a, a no. world beat group. Um, you know, they were a Daptone. They were like the first artists on Daptone. Okay. And even though they're very much a world beat music and there's multiple language being spoken and, you know, the lead singer is from, from Nigeria and the two guys that started the band are from Mexico city and, and they got their start in Brooklyn, you know, um, yeah. they, they ended up, they end up getting pulled apart a lot early on by Amy Winehouse, who they played with and then, um, or many of the members played with and then, um, Sharon Jones and Charles Bradley and all of the DAP tones, um, you know, they became yeah. sort of a, a key part of the house band and touring band um, for yeah. for DAP tones. So when they can be together, they're doing more like Afrobeat stuff. Wow. And um, and so the stuff that we started um, working on um, was the first song that we wrote together. I'm really happy with it's. It's pulling from all different cultures. It's the the lyrics are in different languages, but it just flows. It's just really unique. Yeah, um, definitely more in a world music um, place. But you can hear New Orleans in it. You can hear soul music, obviously with the horns and you know and um, the rhythms. You know, it's it's really fun. Wow. And so that's, that's going to be after the, my next, uh, my next, you know, album, um, it, the next thing I'll, after that will be, uh, with Antibalas. Cool. Well, I'm excited to see that in a live setting as well. Me too. Me too. You know, I think, I mean, the idea with every, you know, with any luck, we'll be able to, um, we'll be able to get together and actually, you know, do a do a tour, you know. Do a, a at least go out for a month. It's my my dream, you know. Yeah. And maybe longer, and be able to play in the United States a few shows here, maybe five here and five in other places in the world. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much for spending the time chatting with me. I sure appreciate it. Um, and if you wouldn't mind, stay on the line with me for just one second. But I'll say goodbye to our uh, to our audience. Thank you so much. Hey, thank you. All right, that's my conversation with A.J. Croce. You know, and I think this was one of my favorite conversations so far. There's been so many, and they're all great for different reasons, but I think this is one of my favorites so far. So thanks, A.J., for taking the time. Once again, my name is Andy Sido. I've been your host this afternoon. I put out a new episode of Middle Class Rockstar every Thursday. Um, if you would, take a quick second to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's a huge help. And if you'd like to take that extra step and help out in a monetary way, 
visit www.patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W, where I put up exclusive content from some of these episodes, um, as well as songs I don't post other places, production videos, things like that. I get creative on there. So I'd love, I'd love for you to be a part of my community for as little as $3 per month. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and I look forward to chatting with you again next Thursday. Thanks. Thank mm-hmm. you.